Hi, this is Danny Hernandez, member and pastor at Echo Church in Chino, California. Welcome to today's episode of the Shepherd LA podcast. Shepherd LA exists to inspire and connect like-minded church leaders for greater church health in Los Angeles and wherever you may be listening. Learn more at shepherdla.org. As always, I am joined by PJ Tobian, member and pastor of Bethany Baptist Church in Bellflower, California, here in Southeast Los Angeles. Welcome back to the Shepherd LA podcast. It's been almost four years. Almost four years. Yeah. October 2018 was our last episode, but we are, we're getting serious. We're getting, yeah. we're getting back to this. We missed everyone. We're, no, yeah. We're, we're back ready to, to try to be helpful to some listeners and some churches and pastors. So all three of you, thank you for your patience. Yes. Waiting uh, almost four years for this new podcast. BJ, how's that? We, we do have some content already. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. We, we've been putting some content on. So we've sort of come back. We have a, we have a plan and a vision for this. And so hopefully we can be as helpful. PJ, how's everything been for you? Things have been well in the last four years. Um, Church is going well. We were not a healthy, revitalized church back in 2018. Now we have a plurality of pastors. We have a meaningful membership. Uh, we hosted our first Nine Marks Shepherd LA conference. Shepherd LA seems to be going well. A lot of pastors connecting and resourcing each other. So that's been encouraging. Friendships are deepening. You've been doing a really good job with Shepherd LA. And so I think that's a big reason why we're, we're sort of coming back to this and kind of getting this going. I think we've been able to kind of develop some momentum. So hopefully this podcast can also help with that. How are you doing? Uh, you, you have some big news since the last <laughs> yeah. four years ago. So big news, not not as new. I mean, since 2018. Well, one, I have a child now. So you that, that happened. Uh, so I have a almost two-year-old now, Audrey. So our family grew since our last uh, podcast episode. Uh, but also we are now at Echo Church in Chino. And I am now um, one of the pastors there. So that's right. Not on staff, but still a pastor. Amen. Still yeah. a bishop. Still an <laughs> elder overseer. Yep. So you can and that was me. since when? Uh, it's been since February of this year. Okay. So, so now you are accountable to God, giving an account bishop, for the saints at Echo Church. Yep, bishop Danny. Uh, so that's that's what we've been up to. But some kind of more exciting news that's more new we just recently had the nine mark shepherd la conference out here how was that pj i could not go had covid yeah you ditched ditcher <laughs> so could not be there but i heard that it went really well what were, what were your impressions of, of the conference conference went really well we had two goals one was to get nine marks ideas out to more la pastors so they could think about a healthy church from a biblical perspective the second goal was to create a context for pastors to connect with each other, to build friendships, to deepen existing friendships, to meet people, just to see that there are other pastors in LA who are thinking and desiring to be faithful to the Lord in a specific way of pastoral ministry in life. And so it was, I thought, I think that one was a success. We'll see as, as the weeks and months go on how people connect with each other, but people are largely encouraged from what I've heard from the conference. That's great. And one of the things, what if you were not able to make it, we are going to be posting uh, the sessions for the conference here on the podcast. And in addition to that, what we're doing here is one of the first episodes that we're going to have, we're going to have these recap episodes. Uh, so that's what we're doing here today. We are going to recap the first uh, evening, the first three sessions of the conference to kind of help us think through things more that maybe 
we would want pastors to think about or just things that were not because of time constraints cannot be elaborated um, in the different sessions and in the Q&A. So that's what we're, we're here to do. So we hope to make uh, some of these recap episodes here as we uh, publish some of the sessions in order to help us think through things and hopefully be uh, helpful to our listeners out there. Let me say something about that. So there were about 70 churches represented, a little bit over 70 churches represented. There were 170 to 180, somewhere in there, in terms of attendees. And so that's, that, that kind of gives you the stats. Uh, Mark Dever did two sessions. Jonathan Lehman did two sessions. Bobby Scott did a session, and I did two sessions. We were really trying to overview, a general overview of the nine marks of a healthy church. Yeah, that sounds good. And so the first session... First session was by Jonathan Lehman. Yep. And it was how the church displays God's glorious grace. So PJ, what were some takeaways from that talk? It was a good talk. He talks about how how the gospel creates the church or the churches and churches protect and display and provide an apologetic for the gospel. So if the gospel is God's work of doing things, that work creates a people, that people live for him and that people represent him and, and, and go back to point to that work. So that was essentially saying that we all believe in the gospel, praise God, at least evangelicals do, but we need to understand that it does create communities of people in local churches, and that's an embodied, visible Christianity. So we need to pay attention, uh, not only to the gospel that we preach most especially, but even to the way that we display it as a people visibly in local churches. Yeah, I think here in the States, when we think about the church, we often go to what Christianity is, well, it's the gospel, it's evangelism, it's sharing the gospel with others. But oftentimes what's missed in that is the role of the church, how ecclesiology shapes that. And that's what uh, Lehman was getting that, how our view of God, our view of evangelism, our view of the gospel is largely shaped by our understanding of ecclesiology. So it's about understanding that not only is there this vertical dynamic where God saves us, but there's this horizontal element where we're saved into a people. Now, yes, we can put one first, but that secondarily is not like an optional thing. It sort of necessitates. If you are saved vertically, it necessitates you being part of a people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's and, and in that being part of the people, it means that we're obeying the Lord and we're showing we're showing the world who Jesus is in our, in our, in our embodied life. So instead of just talking about the gospel and theology, theoretically, it's really embodied practically in the way we live our lives. So my takeaway from Jonathan's talk and just something that was encouraged from encouraging for my own soul is that um, one, praise God for the glorious gospel of God's work. And two, be aware that this gospel affects our lives and it impacts us in, in showing ourselves in churches. So giving my life to a local church as a Christian, as a member of a church, and then secondarily as a pastor is worthy work because this is the display of God's glory. And then secondly, at least with what we're doing with Shepherd LA, encouraging, if you're a pastor, and even if a Christian, just being broad-minded, being an encouragement to other churches and to other pastors and other members of other churches, not trying to sheep steal them to grow your church, but just being a blessing to other churches for right. their church's growth yeah. is also important and critical for the display and perpetuation and the protection of the gospel. Yeah. And so, you know, as pastors, that's why it's so important to have this framework of what our ecclesiology is. Again, it's not this academic exercise where we just have these big theological ideas we like to discuss, but it actually does impact the day-to-day -day work of the church. 
And one of the things he says with that is churches protect, display, and provide an apologetic for the gospel. Now, for me as a pastor, knowing that that's true, that the church is about protecting, displaying, and providing an apologetic for the gospel, I feel like as a pastor, if I didn't think well through ecclesiology and how my church functions and how my church is set up, then I would be making a really big mistake. How would I know how to protect the gospel? How would I know how to display it and provide an apologetic for that if I don't have that sort of framework in my mind? And so I think that was a really big light bulb for me. Yeah. If you're a pastor, we pastors are not only responsible to help individual Christians grow, we are responsible to help the church grow in terms of its community and its structure as a church. So church polity is not a unnecessary, uh, hint, uh, un, it's not a nuisance that's on the side that you just kind of have to deal with. If you're going to help Christians grow, they're part of an ecosystem, and you have to care about what that ecosystem is biblically. And you need to shepherd the church to become that system as a whole community and not just individual Christians. So once you start thinking about uh, not just an individual member's relationship with God, but their relationship with other members in relationship to God, you start thinking about two, three, four, seven, 141 members of a church, all of a sudden you're thinking about a system that cultivates a community of, of deepening relationship with God and relationship with each other, even as they're getting the gospel out to other people who are coming into the church. So say a pastor's hearing us right now, maybe he listened to Jonathan's talk and they're asking, okay, I'm hearing you guys. I'm trying to track with you guys. How do I, what are the first steps I need to take? How do I get myself to start thinking about how to shape my ecclesiology and my understanding of the church? What would you what would you say to them? What are those first steps that you would encourage them to take? Well, I think reading reading the Bible. So the, the three questions you need to answer are what is a church? What is a healthy church? And how do you as a Christian and then as a pastor help a church grow in health? And you have to ask ask that in that order. So obviously you need to look at your Bible. That's those are the divine words of God, the inerrant words of God. So you start there. And then reading other books like Nine Marks of a Healthy Church to start thinking through what what does the Bible teach? about these things what have others seen in the bible as far as what what a church is and then what a healthy church is on what a church is you might even want to look at jonathan lehman and colin hansen's book rediscover church for what a church is and then mark dever's book nine marks of a healthy church for what a healthy church is and then something like how to build a healthy church by mark dever and paul alexander to think of how you can lead a church towards health and then I'm listening to all the podcasts from the these episodes from the Nine Marks Shepherd LA conference yeah. and other resources from Nine Marks and others who are talking about what a church, what a healthy church is. I'm going to put you sort of on the spot here, PJ. One of the things that you've said to me is every pastor should have a working definition of what a church is. I mean, if that's what you're going to be doing with your life, you understand what that is. What is your definition of a church? My definition of a local church is a, an assembled group of Christians collectively responsible for one another's profession and practice of faith in Jesus Christ in order to disciple their neighbors and the nations. So it's, it's not a building. It's not a Bible study. It's not just a group of friends. It's a group of people that have a collective responsibility, a group of Christians. They're assembled. They assemble regularly. They have they exercise as a group collective responsibility for someone's profession of becoming a Christian, of being a Christian and then transferring them to another church or excommunicating them if their profession and practice of faith is no longer credible yeah. um, in line with following Jesus and the gospel. And so that's what a church does. They, they are the only group on earth given authority by Jesus to exercise that collective responsibility of the keys of the kingdom to declare who's in and who's out of 
Christ publicly right. and credibly. And yeah, so only the church does that. And they do that in order to disciple their neighbors and the nations for the church to grow as the gospel expands. And that's the Great Commission. So if you're that pastor who's in that first step, I, I would almost encourage you to, to write down first your definition of what a church is now. Read these resources, listen to these things intentionally, and just try to see how that how that sort of definition gets redefined as you go along. And it'll start to slowly shape where you might land on what a church is. Yeah. I mean, if a lot of people are saying, hey, should I do this as a church or should we do that? Is it okay to have two services or multi-site or things like that? I just want to go back and say, well, what's your definition of a church? What do you think the Bible's definition of a church is? So you want to grow a healthy that, whatever that definition is. So the second session was one of our Shepherd LA pastors, Bobby Scott, and he talked about the importance of expository preaching in the church. What are some takeaways you had from that, PJ? Well, I loved how Bobby spent most of the time on what a preacher is and his character, his power, um, his commitments. And then after that, then talking about expository preaching. So I was encouraged to, to, to lean on God for power and God's hand for, for my need and not my own, to not rely on my own power. I was encouraged on how to do that well. And then, and then from there, just to think about the very sim- the simple thing about what preaching is, reading the word, explaining the word, pointing to Christ, who is the word, and applying it to your people. So it was encouraging. For me, the thing that, that really hit home was initially in the sermon, he, he talked about how we just live in a culture and over the last few years where so much is happening in our society. And oftentimes it could feel, we could feel a sense of hopelessness in these times of our culture about God's word being sufficient. But him reminding us that preaching his word is is always sufficient because ultimately we're dependent and weak and it's really his work that is going to accomplish what it needs to. That's, you know, and anything that we proclaim, it's his word that has the power. So I I just thought that that was really encouraging and and him just reminding us, look, like at the end of the day, what you're doing in preaching is helping people come back to the text, helping people come come back to God's word where they can read it for themselves and understand it in a new way. Because ultimately that's what you want to be doing. You want them to follow God's word to be in the text. So I, I just thought that was a good, simple reminder of, of the role and task of preaching. Yeah, a, a healthy church, a church doesn't exist without God's word because faith comes by hearing the word of Christ. So you don't become a Christian without the word. You don't grow as a Christian without the word. A church doesn't grow without the word. And expository preaching is really letting the word, the words and goal of the text, of the biblical text in its canonical context, control the words and goal of the sermon preach to your people. And that's what makes a church grow in right growth, in biblical growth, according to God's sovereignty and goodness and providence and promises. So one of the things that came up from Bobby's talk was him talking about how, you know, he he wrestles with, with the Lord in terms of prayer, in terms of getting the meaning of the text. For you, PJ, what is what does your process look like? Do you read the text a certain amount of times first? Uh, at what point do you go look at commentaries? Do you have an outline first? Uh, when do you get to application? Uh, what does your week look like in terms of preaching? Yeah, so I, I don't prep until Friday, Saturday, formally, typically because of um, because it'll take up my whole week if I do. But I start with printing out the text in a bunch of different English translations, and I read it several times and just mark it up. Then I uh, translate the passage. If it's Greek, if it's Hebrew, I don't translate because I don't know Hebrew that well. I could use interlinear and kind of stumble my way through, but 
I'll look just for key phrases there. But if it's Greek, I'll translate the passage. I will uh, use Bible arcing to arc it if it's possible. Uh, if that's the structure, if it's a story, I might look at the narrative flow of it and look at the story structure or character development or some sort of those literary tools to figure out the structure of the text. Then I'm going to look for the main goal of the text to its original audience. Um, and I'll, I'll articulate that. So what was, I preached 2 Timothy last Sunday. What was Paul's original intention to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.14 to 4.5? Uh, I'll think about that. Then I'll write all the questions. Actually, this probably while I'm re reading and rereading, I'll write down all the questions I could think of. And I got this from Mark Dever. Read all the questions I could think of. And then I will try my best to answer each question myself from the text and from my own thinking. Then I'll continue working through to get the main, uh, how does this point to Christ? How does it, um, what are the applications to my own life? What would be the main goal of my sermon and the outline? So once I do all that, then I'll look at commentaries. So now I'm going to look at the question, the key questions I had that have to do with my sermon. I'm going to look for the commentaries answers to see if it answers any of it. And then I'll let the commentaries and other sermons um, inform and stimulate more thinking in me. Sometimes I'll just literally quote a commentary or another sermon, another preacher, or it just sparks another thought that that preacher is not saying, but it gives me another thought on the sermon. And I put that into the sermon. I work through application questions and work through all kinds of application grids that I have. And then I preach it. You know, there's some people that might look at expository preaching and just say, look, that just sounds like a preference. Um, it just sounds like that's a preference, uh, uh, maybe a way to approach preaching. You know, some people might feel like I don't want to go through the, a book series. I want to be open to maybe the spirit showing me that I need to preach X, Y or Z, you know, a day before the morning of I want to be open to that. What would you say to people who might argue that? that maybe don't see expository preaching as kind of a necessity, but more like a preference or an optional thing. And that's tough. I mean, it's tough because I, there's there's part of me that wants to sympathize with that. Like there's no Bible verse that says thou shalt do expository preaching or thou shalt do more precisely to your question, sequential expository preaching. Like I just finished the book of Colossians. Right. Um, what we want to do is we want to make sure that we are preaching Christ and we're preaching Christ from the script. So preaching Christ, Colossians 128. We're preaching Christ from the scriptures, Ephesians 3, 14 through 4, 2. And we want to make sure that we're doing it in an argument that actually is the argument of the Bible. So uh, it says in Colossians chapter 2, to be careful that no one deceives you with, with empty deceit and human traditions or philosophies and, and empty deceit uh, based on human traditions. And then it says also in Colossians 2, verse 4, that um, be beware of arguments that sound reasonable. So you can have biblical, biblically truth statements in unbiblical arguments. So if I'm preaching on, let's say, giving, it's more blessed to give than receive, but I'm not preaching it from a text that talks about it with the argument of that passage, right. then I'm not, then I might actually misshape and mis, misrepresent what that passage is saying and how it applies to us. Right. So expository preaching at its best is actually getting the structure of the text and the argument of the text and so that's one reason why I would encourage you to do it. A second reason is because if you're going through a whole book, again, not thus saith the Lord, but if you're going sequentially through a book, you're getting the argument of the whole book. Right. And that will make you further um, a lot more confident and clearer on what the text is saying. So that's a second reason it helps. A third reason why you should do expository preaching is because it teaches your people how to read the Bible. Mm -hmm. But that third one is a benefit. The first two are more actually more important in the sense that to make sure you get the text right, you need to wrestle with the argument of the text, right. which means you need to see the text in its context. And if you're going to get 
And why, why preach a whole book that way? Because you're getting the argument of the whole book and how that text fits into the context even more because you're actually working your way through the whole book. Yeah, and I think it's serious because you're proclaiming God's word. And if you misconstrue what God's word says, you're misconstruing who God is. Yeah. And that's something to be taken very seriously. Now, now with that, one of the things that came up in the Q&A, kind of shifting to the Q&A here from Bobby's talk, but connected to it, was this balance of how do you do preaching and preparing for preaching amidst the different responsibilities you have in a pastor, like counseling. And so you did talk about there in the Q&A about protecting time for preaching, but how do you kind of come to a decision of what that looks like? Uh, what would you say to a pastor who just really sees maybe his role or job as preaching and, and prioritizing that? And, and how do you balance that? Because I know for some pastors, they do feel that, that their main thing to do is, is to have that sermon on Sunday. So therefore I can't do these other things. But the church needs that too. So how do you how do you balance that? Oh man, so, yeah. So there's two errors, and I think you, you you talked about one. If it's all preaching that you actually neglect the other duties of pastoral ministry, that's a problem. If you're always answering the urgent calls, quote unquote urgent calls of pastoral ministry that you have no time to prepare to preach a sermon, that would also be an error. And I think Bobby's answer was really helpful to that second person um, to say. Yeah, brothers, sometimes life does, sometimes there are some crazy weeks where you get all kinds of crazy calls and you just got to trust that God has given you enough time for what he wants you to do. You do your best and God will come through. And that's true. So I want to affirm what Bobby said there. It was great. It was, it's a great and encouraging point. Now to the, that's more on like, again, those are like special occasion type weeks or right, right. craziness, but on, on the general pattern, you want to make sure to the one error, uh, let me just keep on this, on this side before I go back to to the, the side about preaching too much. Um, if you're always answering calls from your church family and the, the problems that they have that you don't protect your time to prepare a sermon, your preaching will get more and more shallow, hmm. which means your people will feed on more and more shallow preaching, which will affect the whole church. So you need to guard enough time in your preaching and just say to some of your members, listen, if this is not an emergency, it might be urgent, but if it's not an emergency, I'll handle it on Monday because I need to finish my sermon preparation so that I can feed the whole church, including you. And if you don't protect it, it can be taken. So that's to say, that's for those who, who just, and, and you need to set that as a pattern in your life and ministry because you're teaching your people to also value your preparation and the preaching of God's word. Now, now, on the, the other side, side, for those who want to spend most of their time preaching and not pastoring, I just want to say to those brothers, brother, uh, what is the job of a pastor? It is more than preaching. Mm -hmm. To be a pastor is to devote yourself to the ministry of the word and the ministry of prayer, which means you need to get to know people and know the situations to pray for. Mm -hmm. you, the, to be a pastor also means you need to oversee the flock, which means you need to get to know what's going on in their lives. Right. To oversee them, a pastor is an overseer, to watch over their souls as someone who will give an account. You need to know what's going on in their, in their lives yeah. and in the church as a whole. So you need to get out of the study and into their lives or have them in the study and get to ask them questions. And then Ephesians 4.11 says that pastors are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. If you are not, and that's more than preaching because different saints have different needs of equipping for their actual ministry. If every member has unique ministries, you getting to know their particular situations and challenges, you need to give them the Bible and equip them for their ministry, which means you need to get to know them. Yeah. And then um, pastors are to model mature Christianity. We are examples to the flock and they're to imitate us. Hebrews 13, seven says that. And first Corinthians 
First Timothy 3, 1 through 7 gives the qualifications or the characteristics of a pastor that they model. So people need to share enough life with you that you actually shape the way they think about being a man. You shape the way they think about being a husband. You shape the way they think about being a father and a neighbor and a coworker. They don't know those things unless they spend time with you. And pastors, that's important. Now, again, you need to guard your preaching time, but you also need to guard your people time. And it has to be both. Yeah. One of the things that did come up sort of with the Q&A and, and Jonathan Lehman's talk is when he talked about uh, church membership and someone who's a prospective church member, uh, he was doing an interview. And in that interview, the issue of this person being in sexual morality came up and Jonathan asked him if he could share that with the other elders. The guy said no, uh, wasn't willing to share, wasn't really to change that area of his life. And so Jonathan Lehman sort of said, all right, let's 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 hold this thing off. Let's not move forward. Now, someone who might be hearing that might be now like that, well, that question was in episode 10, right? In the, yeah, in the yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he, you know, a pastor might be listening and be like, hey, like, are we just gonna let Christians who are not sitting in? You know, what if, you know, there's a guy who is struggling with sexual morality in the way of pornography? Like, are we not gonna let him in? Do we have to, do people have to have their lives all together and you know, perfect in order for, for us to let them into our church? Like, what is, what is, how do you answer that? How do you balance that? Yeah. The issue is credible, a credible profession of faith and a credible profession of repentance from sin. So everyone who joins the church is a sinner. So everyone is sinning and everyone is struggling with fighting against sin, putting to death the deeds of the body by the spirit, Romans 8, 12. We're trying to do that. We're in process. We are working out our salvation with fear and trembling because God is working in us, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So there's going to be everyone sinning coming in. Everyone is a sinner. What you're looking for, though, is a an about face towards sin, a resolve to kill sin in one's life. And if a person hasn't resolved to repent from sin, then you must withhold or hold off on taking them into the church until they are committed to repenting from their sin and trusting in Jesus. Now, that, when I said committed, I'm not, that doesn't mean that they're perfect. It doesn't mean they're not fighting anymore. So, um, I mean, I hope these stats are not true, but if it's true that nine out of 10 men in churches look at pornography at least once a month, well, that's a problem. Yeah. And if that's true, then when I take a member into to the church family, I want to know that they're willing to fight against pornography. Yeah. Have they repented of it and are they waging war on it? Or are they still debating whether they should really wage war on it? If you're still debating whether you should wage war on the sin in your life, then that's not repentance. And that is not a credible profession of repentance. And therefore pastors should hold off on leading their churches to taking those people into membership until they say, yes, I have declared war on sin in general and every specific sin that I'm aware of in my life. I'm still struggling with it. I'm still fighting, but I've declared war on it and I'm committed to fighting against it by God's grace with whatever help God gives me, including a church family and including pastors to help me. And if someone's not willing to do that, then you should hold off on bringing them in. But as soon as someone is willing to do that and they understand the gospel and they trust in Christ and they desire to seek and follow Jesus, that is enough. And they understand the commitment of what it takes and what it means to be a member of a church, at least at Bethany Baptist Church, we're happy to move forward to taking them into membership at that point and helping work through it and walk alongside them as they walk alongside me and me fighting my own sin. Yeah. So, you know, what we're looking for, there's not perfection. It, what we're looking for repentance, repentance. And, and seeing a pattern of that. Yeah, absolutely. Now, a lot of the conversations also came up around, how do you know when a church is ready for things like an established practice of membership, or perhaps 
some sort of membership, but you haven't practiced church discipline. And, and maybe the, when people talk about that, they mean the fourth step, which is excommunication. Right. How do you gauge when a church is ready? I mean, you've been here at this church, you went through revitalization, you're at a stage now where that is more of the culture of this church, where you, you've done that, you have meaningful membership now. It wasn't always that case, but how did you move the church towards there? How do you, what, what things are you looking for to say, okay, we're ready. We're ready to take this on. We're ready to obey God now in these ways. In terms of discipline. Membership even. Okay. And, and so, how do you, yeah, there, there might be some guys who don't have membership. There, yeah. There's a lot informal. of different. Yeah. So, so if like, just know, um, if you answer like, so if you're a pastor listening, think about this. When I, if I ask you, who is the church? Who is your church? Who makes up your church? So if I think about Bethany Baptist Church or Echo Church, who is Echo Church? Who are the people of Echo Church? Who are the people of Bethany Baptist Church? That is, but that is the that is the body that makes up your church. So I hear a lot of pastors say this. I don't know, Danny, if you've heard any pastor say this before, but they say like, if you call this church your home, then we're asking you to do yeah. those things as yeah. if it's just it's on you. And <laughs> yeah. if you personally have decided to, I don't know if you've decided to, but if you have, then hey, you're a member or you're you're part of the family. When you say part of, that is what member is. A, a member of the body is a part of the body. So. Uh, just know that you have some idea of who makes up your church. Right. And if you haven't thought through membership, then your your idea is probably a little bit fuzzy and blurry and your membership processes or the clarity of it is a little, it's a, it's unclear and cloudy. And maybe the processes are a little sloppy. And, and I want to just add to that. Then there is an ambiguity or lack of clarity for your members to actually obey some of the one another's in scripture. Yeah. Well, if I don't have a dedicated people to do the one another's with, how am I going to do the one another's? Like, yeah, that's really hard to do. Right. Um, and that's not helping the people who are attending your church. Right. Like we have 141 members of our church. They should all know who the other 140 members are. If you and Alyssa, your wife came and visit our church, I hope that they would love you and encourage you, but they would know that the responsible responsibility to you is as a neighbor, as a fellow Christian from another church. But when they're looking at the New Testament and all of the one another's, especially the collective responsibility aspects of it, they're not thinking of Danny and Alyssa. They're thinking about the 140 other members of Bethany Baptist Church. And if that's right. not clear, as you keep, as pastors, I mean, I talk to pastors who say things like, who are discouraged. And they're like, I want my, pa I want my members to take more, feel that responsibility for the church family. They don't feel it the way your church family feels it. And I just want to say, brother, I don't, do they even know who they're responsible for? Is it clear to them? And is it regularly clarified to them? So um, that's what, that's what you want to do. You want to move towards meaningful membership. Uh, that would be a key phrase. And then to get to the discipline part, I mean, you asked a bunch of questions. Do you want to ask about a discipline part or do you want me to keep going on membership? No, I think let's say, even though you have some level of meaningful membership here, when you, when you came to the, the church you're currently at, here at Bethany, when it was a revitalizing situation, there was some form of who we are, even if you had to um, shape that a bit and, and make some adjustments there. there. I know you had a situation where the church wasn't ready and you had to take action. So we'll talk about that in a second. But at what point in that process were you like, okay, I see these signs, I'm seeing these things, and now I know I'm ready to do step three, step four of church discipline, yeah. telling it to the church, excommunicating somebody. Yeah. So yeah, the, the indicators that our church is ready to go to step three, which is tell it to the church. Mm. And then step four of the church deciding to excommunicate somebody. We're looking for, does the church know who the members are? Is there a clarity of who the members are? 
Do they care about the members? Do they care about fighting sin in their own lives? So is there a culture of confessing your own sins in large measure at the church? Next, is there a culture of people calling other people out on sin and holding each other accountable on a one-to-one -one level? And then when somebody doesn't repent, step two or stage two of church discipline, do they actually call for two or three others to come and then confront the person? And is so is stage one, one-on-one -on -one confrontation, stage two, two or three confronting and clarifying where the sin is between two people. If that is happening fairly regularly in the church and the church knows who the members are, then you're ready to go to stage three and stage four if they've been taught. But if nobody is confessing sin, if nobody is confronting others on sin, if there's no groups of two or three going after people to talk about sin and to confront sin and lead someone to restoration, if that's never happening or it's rarely happening in your church, you need to do a lot more shepherding and discipling of your people to do those things before you're ready to go to stage three and stage four. So connect that for me. Why, why is that so important? Why is it so important to have that level of accountability, confession of sin, people doing that to one another before, I don't know, Bob is in this situation and he's creating an issue or he's in a blatant sin and you're like, okay, why, why does this need to happen first in order for us to understand this situation in light of Bob? What, yeah. can connect that for me. Sure. Because obeying, obeying Christ and the Bible should be edifying and it should be worshipful and it should draw you closer to Christ even when you're grieving, even when you're hurting. So when churches do stage three and, and stage four of excommunication, stage four being excommunication, without stage two and stage one and, and experiencing restoration regularly, they will look at it as a burden they will look at it as a problem. They will look at excommunication as a weakness. They will be disagreeing with the leaders or other church members that we should be doing it. And it will not be edifying. Yeah. They're going to be complaining. Why are we doing this? Why are we being mean? Why are we being unloving? Yeah. Why are we making this such a big deal? Yeah. They will not have the categories to worship Christ, to grow in Christ, and to love the person they're pursuing. Right. They won't have the, the maturity to uphold the discipline and, and continue to not eat with such a person. Yeah. If you don't have stage two and stage one as a regular practice, they don't understand, you're not, they're not quite understanding holiness and accountability and the joys of discipline and restoration yet. Yeah. yeah. Because it's a joy to obey the Lord. I'm not saying that without tears. Uh, our last excommunication, everyone is always heartbreaking. And there are tears shed when we're doing excommunication. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's edifying. Yeah. And it helps us grow in holiness. Yeah. But in a church that's not doing stages one, one and two, oh, I'd imagine there'd be all kinds of complaints. Mm -hmm. And that's why we that's why the typical nine marks response is don't do excommunication yet, because you'll get fired or you'll split the church if they haven't had the, the exercising of the muscles of stage one and two regularly. And I think that that's so important to explicitly say here, when people understand things like excommunication, that you know what the Bible says is loving to do to this person is to do this in order for them to eventually be saved, to repent. That That is the aim of anything we're trying to do with church discipline, specifically excommunication. It's to sober that person up in love to actually come back and trust Christ where they're not trusting in Christ. And so, yeah, holding on to the beauty of that, the fact that that is not only obedience to the Lord, but loving this person is so critical to understanding this. And if they're missing that, then yeah, it's just going to be misunderstood in all sorts of ways that are messy and unhelpful and leave a bad taste in people's mouths. Right. Um, especially if they're hanging out. I mean, especially we're in Southern California, Bible church land. Yeah. So any evangelical churches, gospel preaching churches here that don't do membership and don't do discipline. When you, when you compare what your church is doing with, with, a, with what other churches are doing, you just look really odd. Yeah. Yeah. And so if they're not taught well, 
everything around them in not only a general culture, but even Christian church culture in, at least in, in America right now would point against these things. And it yeah. looks really strange. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 people are just going to point to not the corporate reality of what Christianity should look up. Like. It's, it's always going to be the privatized yep. individualized kind of uh, American way of seeing things. Now, with that being said, let's say you are a pastor who maybe you're, you're getting membership on track. Maybe you're trying to figure that out, but you're not quite yet at a point where you can have that culture develop, where you can do steps three and four, but there's an issue in your church that needs to be addressed. There's unrepentance, there's sin happening. I know you had a situation here, so maybe you can share that with us. What are the principles of addressing that? How do you go about addressing someone or an issue in your church with unrepentance without necessarily going to step three or four, but having to address that as a pastor, because you know, this issue, this sin is, is going to create havoc. It's, it's not helpful. How did you address that? Yeah. So there's two different situations at our church. One, our, our church membership role was not clean yet, but we had someone who was believing, got swept up in the black Hebrew Israelite teachings and um, stopped believing that Jesus was God, but still believed, he still believed that Jesus was Messiah because that's a heresy that Jesus is not God. We, the whole church excommunicated him. And I, I thought it was clear enough that our church was ready to do that. On the, on the one where our church was not healthy enough for something like a divisive member, so this might have been year two, maybe year three of me being here at the church. It had to be year two. And for perspective, how many years have you been here now? Since November 2014. So eight years this November. This is like, okay. Wow, eight years. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, he was divisive in our church. And so uh, Titus 3, 10 and 11 tells us to warn a divisive person. Let me look it up here. Titus 3, 10 and 11, it says this, reject a divisive person after a first and second warning. For you know that such a person has gone astray and is sinning. He is self-condemned. So I had a, a, a member in our church, let's just call him Danny, since I'm looking at you, Danny. <laughs> and I sat Danny down here in this study, right here where we're sitting here in Belfar at Beth Bethany Baptist Church's building. Um, and I sat him down here in the study and said, Danny, you are sinning. You, you are a divisive person. You have been, you've divided this church in these ways. And I just read down my list yeah. of like six or seven or eight ways he has been dividing the church, lies he's said, ways he's tried to just, um, yeah, just slander people and, and really cause division in the church. Yeah. And I looked him in the eye and I said, Danny, you are a divisive person. Mm -hmm. You are sinning against God and you're, you're being used by Satan. You need to repent and stop doing this. Mm -hmm. This is your first formal pastoral warning. It says here, Rejected the device of person after a first and second warning. I told him, I said, this is your first warning. After your second warning, I will reject you and I will have nothing personally to do with you. And if our church was healthy enough, I would move our church to excommunicate you if you refuse to repent. But because you're, because our church is not healthy enough, you are quote unquote fortunate enough, at least at this point yeah. for me to not lead our church to excommunicate you. But personally, I will have nothing to do with you and I will personally reject you being self-condemned for your lack of repentance in your divisiveness. That's what I told him. So that was your way of, of addressing it in some form of discipline, but yet not quite being able to do the step three, step four because of that. Now here, as, as we close, just if you had to give one kind of piece of advice or two pieces of advice for pastors listening to this in the first three sessions, what would that be? Anything that comes to mind? I think you need, yeah, it's good to think about 
how the word works in the church. That would be from Bobby's sec- session, how the word works in the preacher and how the word should work through the preacher into the church and the development of healthy church. And then how important it is to think about who makes up the church and how the gospel informs what goes on in the church. So let me just leave you with two questions that I'm not gonna answer here, but just here are some things to think about, just in general, ecclesiologically. How do you love and serve perpetual non-committing church attenders? Yeah. Who will refuse to join the church? Right. I think that kind of tests your ecclesiology and your discipling, right? Absolutely. And the second one would be, are people sinning if they don't join a church? Yeah. Is that a sin? And what if a church, quote unquote, has no church membership? Yeah. And like, what, what does that mean? And how do you process that? Those are important questions. Pastors, you need to have good, biblical, helpful, edifying answers to these questions. Yeah, I think to me, the biggest two takeaways is is the gifts that God's word is. We don't have to guess or wonder who Amen. God is and what he tells us. He tells us in his word. And with that, he gives us his church. We don't walk on this Christian life by ourselves, but we need others. And, and so having God's word and the gift of his church as pastors, thinking well through what that means, uh, not only for our ministry, but um, in the lives of the people we shepherd, I think is critically important. Now, now, PJ, with that, I mean, I'm glad a lot of the guys at Shepherd LA were able to connect with with different pastors. And I'm thankful for a lot of the questions that came up. And this is a little bit of what you all just do in the Shepherd LA group regularly. Yeah, you, guys you, meet sat, together. In the, you yeah. sat in the first one, sat today. one today. Yeah. And asking questions that come up, wrestling with these issues. Now, there might be some brothers who went to that, not yet connected with Shepherd LA, and maybe they don't know you know, is it a, an exclusive club of, you know, that PJ runs? What does that look like? Yeah. How do people get connected with Shepherd Ole? What's the best way for them to do that and continue some of these conversations and thinking through these issues? Yeah. So the overall goal of Shepherd Ole is to connect and resource like-minded pastors for healthier churches in LA, which means you don't need to be part of Shepherd Ole to do that. You just need to find a like-minded pastor, connect with them, be a friend to them and resource them. So that that's the easiest thing to do. Now, these conferences or workshops that we do are ways to like gather a bunch of pastors who have a like mind so that you could actually meet them and start to connect with them. So you don't need anyone's permission to do that. You could just do that. So, but if, if you want, if we could be helpful, the way Shepherd Ellie would like to help you do that, because that's your, that's your privilege and responsibility. So you can become a healthier pastor for a healthier church. The way we do that is by, we, ho- we host events so that uh, you can come to these events and meet other pastors and then connect with them there. And so we have like three or four events a year to connect each other. And then for me and uh, John Lee and Peter Jung, pastors at our church, and then Ross Kwong, who's a pastoral assistant at this church, we exist in the, with, through the Shepherd LA ministry to help pastors and to connect with them. So we would love to get time with any LA pastor who's down to, to hang out with us and think through some stuff together and encourage each other in the faith. But the, the simplest and most easy step you can do to start moving in this direction is to go to our shepherdla.org website, shepherdla.org, and then just get on the email list so that our next events that are coming up, you can know about them and then get together and meet other pastors there. That sounds great. Thank you for that information, PJ. And thank you all again for being patient with us, tuning in after four years. Again, we promise we won't go anywhere uh, for that long again. Uh, But thank you for tuning in and we appreciate it. We will talk to you all next time.